What we do here is go back, 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 back. Welcome to This Podcast is Delicious. My name is Ali Hassan. My name is Marco Timpano. And today, we are talking about something near and dear to both our hearts, and that is the olive, the humble olive. I don't even know if I should say humble. The kick-ass olive. This thing, this thing does double duty, triple duty. It does a lot. It does a lot of work. It does. It, for, for, it packs such a punch in such a small little thing, right? Vitamin E, healthy fats, just a slew, and beautiful color. Like we even we even have a color that is dedicated to this particular food item, olive green, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about when I say olive totally, green. Totally, totally. Yeah. Even though one of my favorites are the black olives, but yeah, the olive green, absolutely. We know yeah. what that is. And Marco Timpano, which country accounts for over half of global olive oil uh, and olive production? That's a that's a great question because when you think olive oil, you think Italy, you think France, Spain, Spain is a big contender, and yeah. Greece. Um, I know that Puglia in southern Italy has a ton of olives, so I'm going to go with Italy because I know that the French cut their olive oil with Italian olive oil. That's all I know. Yeah, you would say that, but yeah. it's Spain. I'm sorry to okay. say that Spain. And then other major producers are Portugal, Tunisia, Greece, Morocco, sure. Turkey, and somewhere down the list, Italy. I don't know. Israel, really California. Yeah. Israel has great olive oil. California has fantastic olive oil. Yeah. Yeah. And the olive also, you mentioned olive green. I think it's also worth mentioning, you know, the olive branch oh. has been, you know, that symbol of uh, of glory and peace, right? Like it's been, you know, you, 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 you extend an olive branch uh, in, in times of sort of a reconciliation. And then obviously the glory because, you know, the Olympics, the early Olympics, you right, were the wreath, the, the... the wreath was decorated. Um, I didn't actually know about abundance, but I, I guess so. And then over the years, the olive has also been used to symbolize wisdom, fertility, power, and purity. Four things that you don't know that much about, my friend, but but you just have to take my word for it on that one. I just did a quick Google search to see where Italy ranks, and it ranks second after Spain. I know, I, just I know, want, okay, I know. I just I want to say that. I, I was wondering that. if you'd correct me, because you should, but uh, I was hoping you wouldn't. Italy's up there, obviously. We, we knew that. And by the way, um, not to be uh, outdone by Italy... Uh, Muslims also um, from various countries have this connection to the olives. The olive tree and olive oil yes. are mentioned several times in the in the Holy Quran. Yeah, uh, the olive is praised as a precious fruit. Sometimes when dates are not available readily to break your fast with in the month of Ramadan, olives are used. Oh, and uh, the Prophet spoke about it. And then and then the weird one, of course, the United States, right? In their you know that great seal with the with the eagle. I didn't know this. The eagle is clutching an olive branch in one of its talons. Uh, I knew it was clutching something. I, I forgot. I think I that it was, it was an olive branch. Arrows. I thought it was clutching arrows. Yeah, I think that's a a, a new version. Okay. Of this, uh, or or sorry, like a, a meme, a memed up version. Maybe it might be arrows in one and an olive branch in another okay. one of its talons. Um, and and they say that's to indicate the power of peace, something that the United States isn't really and particularly I mean, familiar with. But anyway, what do we? You doing? seem to be a religious scholar. Um, so I'm going to ask you this. Guilty. Is olive oil used in the anointment of certain sacraments in various religions? I've seen that it is. I okay. found that a little uh, dry and boring, uh, that that typical, you know, there's a lot written about that. Right. There's a lot written by that. Uh, but I will tell you this, that I, I saw that only cursor, cursor, cursorily, cursorily. I saw that only in like brief mentions. And the reason is because my focus today, our focus is on olives. 
but we should have an entire episode on olive oil. You're right. Because you know what? Different bodies of work. If you we know? talked solely about olive oil, that would be the whole episode. So why don't we reserve it for another episode? Because Laurel, our friend Laurel, who has not emailed me back, if you're listening, Laurel, I just want to make sure you know that we're giving you credit, <laughs> was the one who said we need. We had mentioned we were going to do an olive episode. And this episode is going to focus on the olive itself and not the oil that it's produced from. Is that fair? I mean, I'm going to say it's fair. I'm going to speak okay. on behalf of Laurel, who has had a child since she mentioned, yeah. uh, you know, since he's, she's talked to us. Um, I think one look at her child, she's like, I don't need Marco Timpano and Ali Hassan in my life. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Let's see. Maybe. Let's see if we hear back. Fair from, enough. Uh, we'll, we'll see if we hear Olive. back from her. But I want to, uh, before we even get into olives and in drinks, I want to, I want to point something out. You have always been offended by olives with pits on pizzas. It's not offended. It's just uh, it's it's an exercise in common sense, Marco. Most pizzas, the olives don't have pits in them. All of a sudden, they do. Who says Nobody that? gives who's you a that? warning. Wait, who says most? I had uh, I had a pizza yesterday. No pits in the olives. I had oh. a pizza a couple of weeks ago. No pits in the olives. Yeah, but it's you're very you're talking you're talking places with, in North America. You're talking with North American eyes. If we look at the world, I would say there's more olives with pits in it in pizzas wherever you go throughout Europe. All I said to you, my yeah. lover, my yeah. friend, no, my my uh, my mentor. Yeah. All I said to you was, a goddamn effing warning would be no. Nice. You no. People listen. And back that's where you back episode become least... the most stubborn Italian of all time. No, listen, no, I don't know what to tell you. No, you become the most uh, stubborn Pakistani of all time because if we I'm listen back you. to older episodes, it's all you bitching and complaining about pits in with olives, olives with pits in it on pizzas. And now I have the definitive story that'll explain to you and perhaps seal in your noggin why it's important to have olives with pits on pizzas. All right. Okay. We'll probably so I, edit this part out, but this is exciting. Yeah, oh no, see. I'm not editing anything <laughs> out. Okay. So last week I mentioned Dave Kamak had a story. Dave Kamakio is a yes. friend of mine from high school. I haven't seen him for a while. And just yesterday we went to go, we went to a concert and, uh, and he had told me this story and I share it with you. And I, I did check with Dave who said, tell it if I can, if I can save one life with this story, yes, send it. So he was making homemade pizza and he, like you got some pitted olives to put on his pizza. Boom. Sprinkled it. Cause he's a, he's an olive loving pizza person, much like mm -hmm. you. He goes to take a bite, and one of those olives that was supposed to be pitted had it pitted. Yes. He cracked his tooth. Trigger warning for anyone out there. He cracked the tooth all the way down that the only thing that was holding the tooth in place was his gums. Gum, yeah, okay. He said he never felt so much pain in his life. Went to the dentist. The dentist sent him to a specialist. They could not save the tooth. R.I.P., that tooth, gone forever. People say... His smile has never been the same. And that's the story of when you have when you have a pizza where you suspect there's no pits and you bite into one. So I would argue it's better to know that the olives on your pizza have pits so you're aware of it and you don't chomp down like the Tasmanian devil or my friend Dave Kamakio. That's what I'm saying. It's better to know that you have pits. But you're saying it's better to assume, I think. You're saying it's better to assume. No, no, I'm saying... Have the olives on your pizza with pits in it. And you were always against the olive with pit on pizza. I don't mind it. I just oh, need the warning. Your I tune. just need the warning. I always said, just tell me it's there. Give a heads up to a guy. The same way I told that story in Montreal when this waiter just laid down a uh, it, this brass pot in front of me, just two inches to the right. I had to right. pull it to it. 
directly out of a 450 degree oven, blistered my head. I mean, moron, a little warning, a tiny warning. Like it's just, it's just, it's thoughtfulness, Marco. It's consideration. I knew a guy, Marco Timpano, who had some of that once upon a time. No, no. You know what? You've, you've just gaslit <laughs> no. me. You've, you've olive lit me through this whole episode. Because if we listen back, it's you just saying, why would anyone put olives with pits on pizza? Blah, blah, blah. Swear, swear, swear. So olives on pizza. And that's, sound like and me. it totally sounds like you. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, so I've always been, if you're going to put olives on my pizza, have the pit in them, I will chew them. I will get rid of them. I can yeah. see them. All is good. You know what? You start dicing olives or giving me some pitted uh, olives on pizza. I, I say buyer beware. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. that's fair. I I think people should be just nicer human beings, but you went in a different <laughs> direction. So let's talk about this. Uh, for those who don't like olives, I I don't know how to. You know, for me. If you are eating, you know those blacked canned olives? And you prefer the black ones, you said. No, no I don't prefer the black ones. Okay. I love black ones. Okay. But, but there's the black canned olives. I just want to put this on record. Sure. Yep. Uh, you open them up. They're yep. in a can. Yes. They're water. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not not unlike, you know, canned mushrooms or canned corn. And sure. And you open it. And then, uh, you know, those olives shouldn't actually qualify as olives in my opinion at that point just eat the skin around your nails or just probably more delicious those are the blandest things i've ever had and and that's not the olive game i'm talking about when i when i talk about my love for olives sure if i'm talking about black olives i'm talking about those ones there are moroccan ones there are sicilian ones yes that are um they're basically uh they're picked at full mature maturity right and they have this um they are picked when they are, uh, are are ripe, and then they are um, washed with layers of salt, and then they are dehydrated and shriveled, and they look something like a, a raisin. Yeah. God help you, of course, if you pop it in your mouth thinking you're getting a, a raisin. Yeah, sprinkle those in your cereal. You, that's not a good start to your day. But <laughs> I am a big fan of those. You know, they go by the name of like oil cured uh, olives. They're actually cured in salt and then soaked in oil. But I really like those. But green olives, come on. Bring them on, buddy. I love them, love them, love them. But I mean, when I say black olives, I'm not talking about the canned, bland, uh, direct affront and poor excuse to and for olives. What's fascinating is that you would never get those olives that you're describing in Europe. They would, they would, they would ban you. I, I don't know about other countries in the world, or I'm sure in North Africa too, they'd be like, what are you serving me? Morocco, they're like, these are not olives. The olives you describe are typically what I know as olives that you would get you know, when you go to someone's house or on a um, charcuterie board or something a little bit more fancy, those are like fancier olives. Sometimes you'll even get little uh, pepperoncini flakes on it. I love those olives. Yeah. Sure. Sure. And in fact, so I want to say one last thing about olives, sure. uh, just in, in this appreciation of olives episode before we get into our drink and the yeah. recipe. I, and I say this because, you know, if you see olives and you're like, oh, they're expensive. Why am I paying this much for olives? There are different types of preparations depending on, you know, the local tastes, local traditions, what, you know, whatever it might be. There's a Lebanese way of, you know, soaking them for a couple of days and then fermenting them for up to a year in what, you know, what you just, the, 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 um, the, there's the olive leaves go in some rosemary, some lemon peel, that kind of stuff and, and salt water. There's a Spanish way where it's, um, you know, they're soaked in lye. The olives, olives are soaked in lye, L Y E. And uh, given to their enemies to kill them. 
Exactly. No, then listen, man, if you read about this, this yeah. is a crazy fermentation process where the natural bacteria of the olive works to break down and ferment the olive and it takes uh, months and longer. And then once they're fermented, they're put in a fresh brine and they're what's called acid corrected. There's a Sicilian and Greek fermentation. They uh, do that same process, but they skip the lye. They put them in vessels of brine, which they sure. constantly change. Uh, water cured fermentation, salt cured fermentation. I mentioned there's a California, which is called the artificial ripening, which is not very flattering, but there's so many ways and, and, and things that you have to do in this process, uh, including sometimes sterilizing them under, you know, different heat and then the canning and the bottling and all that. So I think it's worthwhile to look at where your olives are coming from and Agreed. what goes into packaging them just so that you can appreciate, oh, I don't mind that I spent $12 on this 500 grams of olives or $20 on this can of small olives from Greece. So, you know, sure. I, I think sometimes it's, and as we said from the beginning, you said it, they pack a punch. So you don't need 15 olives popped in your mouth, right? Sometimes three or four sliced into a, whatever sandwich, maybe a half dozen in a salad, whatever the case might be. That really does the trick. Well, listen, First of all, I'll just say to our listeners, do not use lie. Do not try this method unless you know what you're doing, because I think you could really injure someone with that lie. Um, I just I just say exercise caution when using or listening to Ali and his lie stories. Um, but I will say this. I agree with you. You know, these people who have problems purchasing something like olives are the same people that have no problems spending 15 to $20 on a huge bag of mini cream eggs or those mini eggs oh. that are made of chocolate or or Magnum ice creams. And, and I'll be the first to raise my hand. I'm guilty of that. But you know, olives, anti-inflammatory compounds in it, vitamin E, healthy fats, copper, you know, all these essential vitamins you're going to find packed in, in those little round, uh, you know, olive uh, oval shaped fruit that is just fantastic for you. And I'm not even talking about what the olive oil does for you, because uh, that'll be another episode where we talk about olive, um, you know, olive oils. But I do want to talk about um, olives in drinks. Unless you have something further to say. Oh, no, buddy, please, no. please. I like it. I like okay, it. Okay, so when you think of cocktails and you think of olives, there's one cocktail that reigns supreme above all else, and that is the martini. So I'm here to talk about olives and the martini and, um, you know, the dirty martini and all that. So, you know, when we're talking about olives that are used in martinis, we're talking about olives preserved in brine. Not oil, because there's some olives that are preserved in oil, and not those black ones that are preserved in water that taste of nothing. In fact, uh, one could argue that only green olives are supposed to be used in martinis because the black just is a different different taste in the olive and a different look. Mm -hmm. um, now, you could use a bit of olive oil in your martini if you want. It will leave a little bit of a greasy film on the top. So it depends on what your what your sort of tastes are. But traditionally, it's the brine. And the brine, of course, is like water, vinegar, and some some spices of some sort to to sort of cure the olives in the olive oil. Sure. And I and I order martinis. Uh, typically, I like a vodka martini, even though I'm a big fan of gin. Vodka martini, extra, extra dirty. So please, you know, don't hesitate to explain to listeners yeah. what that what that means and, sure. and how much that uh, suggests my love of, of olives. Well, first of all, I, it suggests to me you don't know how to order a drink. But let's before we go into that, let me ask you this. When do you eat the olives that are in your martini? This is where I judge you. On the answer to this is where I judge you. Throughout. Okay, so assuming you have three, you eat them throughout? 
I eat them throughout. One is saved for the end, almost like a dessert, you could okay. say. But I eat them throughout. Like, I don't eat one right away. I don't okay. have one right away. I want to taste the drink. But then, you know, it just sort of brings life back into the experience. It's, it's no different from music with a new layer of sort of uh, a beat that comes in and then drops. And then the music, you know, another beat comes in and then drops. It's, uh, I don't Do you know music? I'm not sure if you know. Yeah, I know a couple of songs here and there. Schubert. Uh, Beethoven. It's a layering. It's a layering sure. concept. Schubert, look at you. Um, yeah, it's. it's uh, I think I eat them throughout. And, okay. Uh, I welcome your judgment, but I pay no attention. To then it. let me ask you this: just to magnify or put a magn- uh, magnifying glass on this, what if you only have one olive in your martini glass? When do you eat that? Oh God, this is tough. First of all, I go. Can I have two more olives, please? You stingy bastards. <laughs> That's what I do. Um, but if I only have one, I probably take a bite of half. Midway through, and then and then end with a half. Okay, I, I'll be honest with you. I've ordered extra olives many times. Okay, many times of okay. course. So for I've, you, for you, a martini is a buffet. It's not just a, a beautiful drink. You're you're. But I also have a piece of shrimp and a pickle, and maybe five six pickled onions in this glass. Yeah, I, I know we can't see the liquid anymore, but that's not the no. That's not mm-hmm. who I am. I just listen, man. I was drinking my. Here's what happened. Okay. I loved olives and I really, I enjoyed martinis, you know, bang for buck martinis and it was great. Then I find out, I see somebody order a dirty martini and I find out, and we're going back like 15, 18 years here. It means olives in it. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. You mean I can get olives in my drink? You know what I mean? I didn't know that that was a thing. Uh, I was getting them with a twist and I was getting different and I find out olives. Once I introduced the olives into it, now that's my thing. So I'm always like, it's a game changer for you. It's a game changer. Okay. So my friend, I'm going to give you half marks on this. So if you have one olive in your martini, you are to eat it at the end. Because the olive will soak up the gin, the vermouth, the vodka, if you're having vodka, and it gives it a unique taste. It's no longer an olive. It's now a heightened olive or a modified olive because it has soaked. It's like the worm at the bottom of your uh, tequila or mezcal or... What is it? Yeah, sure. At the end of uh, yeah. your tequila. Um, but uh, not as gross as a not worm. As, it's <laughs> And probably healthier for you. Yes. But uh, the second or last. So you, if you have more than one olive, you can have the first one off the top, one in the middle, and always save one for the end. That's how dedicated martini drinkers uh, mm-hmm. consume that particular cocktail. And that's how you can spot someone who knows what they're doing or if they're just like, you know. I just want a dirty martini because it's something everybody has. Now, a dirty martini is where they take some brine and they mix it into the uh, martini itself. It adds a different dimension to it. It has a different flavor. It gives you that briny, saltiness to it. Now, it's my opinion, you've got to be careful because there's a tipping point that if you hit it with, with the brine in your martini, it's no longer a martini. It's just swamp water. With, with a punch to it because you've gone too there far, is a right? Point. Yeah. yeah, there is a point. And you know where I reached that point? Yeah. In my own home, making myself martinis. Yeah. No bartender has ever done that. I'm very lucky to say. Yeah. I feel very grateful to say no bartender was ever so uh, unqualified. I'm not ordering martini bar at like an Irish pub. Sure. I mean, sure. I'm not ordering martinis at an Irish pub. Uh, I order them where the, the glasses are hanging upside down sure. there. They seem to know they've six, seven different types of gin and vodka and then vermouth is in the house. And I go, okay, these guys know what they're doing. This reminds me of martinis. And now that I've said the word martini out loud, 
I must have one. Okay. So it's never happened. But when I made for myself, I got overzealous and I did exactly that. I caution people who are listening. And that's a great example. Like, don't take the jar and just spill it into the drink as you're mixing it because you'll never get an appropriate amount. And this is why I think measures of alcohol and the ingredients that go into cocktail are so vital and important because it really is a balancing act. So if you got two ounces of, say, gin or vodka, then I would say a quarter ounce maximum a half ounce if you're really like, I really like it dirty. I really like it dirty. Half an, half ounce maximum. But I would say go easier, go less, and you can always add more. And you can even use like espresso spoons or teaspoons to find that right balance. But for me, I would say start, don't, don't start past a quarter ounce. See what works for you. And don't just be pouring it from the jar like I know Amanda would for me. And that would just wreck it, uh, in my opinion. Now, a little, little jab on his wife for no yep, good reason. But, yep, that's, uh, yeah, that's, great. That, that's me. Now, I want to talk about the olives. What olives do you use in your martini? Um, that's, that's less of a science for me. Okay. That's a little bit more of a, you know, and I don't make uh, martinis at home that often. Okay. But I, it's usually a higher quality of uh, green olives uh, jarred sure. in brine. Um, cause I go sometimes to a variety of grocery stores and I buy the, um, I buy, you know, mixed olives and I, okay. I, I typically, you know, I'm not going to put that in my martini. That's sure. That serves a bunch of different pur- purposes. Black olives also not there. Right. Spicy olives, uh, which I love do not go in my drink. So okay. it's usually a, a, a fat green olive uh, that sometimes call them queen olives. Yes. And sometimes they have the, uh, the, the pimento inside and I'm, yep. I'm okay with that. I wouldn't okay. use like the garlic stuff or the almond stuff one that seems a little odd to me. I'm impressed. I'm impressed because I'm going to mention four olives. I think I'm an idiot over here. Well, the... <laughs> if it walks like a duck. Uh, okay. So, all right. So, so the queen olive is one of the olives. Here's my thing. You know, people will be like really so finicky with the gin or the vodka that goes in their martini. And then when it comes mm-hmm. to the olives, they don't know nothing. Isn't you know? that interesting? And yeah. it's like, know the olive you like, because I'm sure people who drink uh, martinis with olives, you'll go to one bar and you'll get, and you're like, oh, that was fantastic. And then you'll go to another one like, that martini wasn't so great. I bet it was the olives that you were having that you're like, oh, you know what? I really like the way they make the martinis at this bar. I'm going to talk about four olives that I would say, if you're going to be buying olives to make martinis in your home, here are four to consider. And I'm not saying one is better than the other, but here are the four that I have determined are the best olives for your martini. The first is the manzanilla olive. The manzanilla olives, they're plump and meaty, and they're most commonly stuffed um, with pimentos and you see them at bars. That's one of the ones that like, you know, for years now, that's the, that was the olive of choice. Uh, as the name would suggest, they're grown throughout most of Southern Spain where the climate is, you know, Mediterranean and lovely and whatnot. Uh, the manzanilla brine is the classic addition. So that's going to have a lovely brine, um, for your dirty martini. And once again, these are the olives that you will find in almost every supermarket. You're looking at green mar- uh, green olives. They're probably going to be manzanilla olives. Uh, so you can find those olives. So look at the label and see, is it a manzanilla olive? And if it is, that's the one you can pretty much set your watch to that will be appropriate in your um, martini. And they're going to most likely have the pimento. You mentioned the queen olive. It's, uh, you know, like the Spanish manzanilla, the queen is a common olive that that uh, that comes from Sevilla, Spain. So, so it's from Seville. Um, it's once again, a classic martini olive. They are semi firm, meaty texture with a 
with a burst of briny flavor. So it's that kind of all of, unlike those black ones you mentioned before, when you bite into them, it tastes like nothing. They're going to give you that pop of olive, when, olive flavor when you bite into it. And they have notes of like a nutty kind of almond flavor. So that's that type of uh, olive, if you can. They're round, they're plump, the Spanish queen. They're also known as gorda in uh, Spanish, which means fat or fatty. Um, mm. They're bigger in size. So if you like a big olive, the queen is what you're going to get. It's meatier. Um, and sometimes they're stuffed. They're so big that they can be stuffed with anchovies, almonds, like you mentioned before, garlic, and blue cheese. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Now, I've, I, I've never have a, had a martini with stuffed with blue cheese. In a, uh, Sorry, I've never had a martini yeah. with olives stuffed with blue cheese. But I, from what I've read, people love them. Oh, yeah. Hmm, interesting. So, something something to to keep in mind. All right, so those are two olives from Spain. Now we're going to go to two other olives. The first being the Cerignola. It's a large meaty and uh it's rarely pitted olive from guess where? Italy because we don't pit our olives. Um and it's from Puglia. I had mentioned Puglia, which is the southern part of Italy, the heel if you look at it as a boot. Um you know, it's the type of olive you thread it with the with the cocktail um pick or the toothpick. And you just throw it in in your uh, in your in your cocktail in your in your martini. It's great with a dry gin martini. This is a no nonsense olive. All right. Um, mm. My tip would be add a little hot pepper in the jar of your Cerignola uh, olives. Let it be in there for a week or two. Give it a little bit of a spicy kick when you use that brine in your dirty martini. And the last olive that I will mention for your for your martini is the. Castelvetrano olive. It's a Sicilian green olive and it's buttery sweet and crisp and meaty in texture. Uh, but when you're buying these, I'm going to just say, when you look for the Castelvetrano olive, make sure they're free from dyes. D-Y-E-S, because they could have some dyes in it. You don't want that. They're tender, they're sweet, and they're buttery, like I mentioned. And these are, you know, an ideal uh, garnish to a cocktail like the martini, but also in an aperitivo uh, type cocktail like the Venetian spritz or the Aperol spritz. Some people like olives in those ones too. Um, yeah, and and that's my take on those olives. But I want to mention as a side note with regards to brines, you know, everyone thinks the dirty martini has to have olive brine in it, right? But you could use other brines like pickle brine, caper brine, which I would probably recommend would be mm, fantastic. I bet. And feta brine. So the water that's left from the feta, use that. It's going to give your martini a bit of a cloudy look to it. And I would yep. say strain it before you use it. Because, you know, uh, feta is kind of flaky. So Crumbly, you, don't want little, sure. you don't want little chunks of feta in there. But if you, if you strain it, add a little bit of that brine. Like I said, a quarter ounce max, half mm. if you're really indulgent. You're going to get yourself a very unusual and lovely tasting martini. Good for you. That's all Good I have to you. say. These are great suggestions. I love it all. I love it all. Let us move on to the um, the olive uh, the olive filled complement to your martinis, and I wanted to you know I I use olives in a lot of you know olives are are, are pretty diverse as we've already mentioned sure. in pizza and in drinks. I really like olives, especially when they're quite salty. I like them roasted with chicken. I do really enjoy like chicken and potato. Uh, sorry, uh, olives and potatoes, chicken and potatoes, both not like tremendously flavorful on their own chicken or potatoes, but, but are a great, um, 
you know, empty palette to, to, to work olives into. But I wanted to talk about something else that uh, we don't talk about nearly enough in the, uh, you know, high, the top half of uh, North America. And that is um, a sandwich inspired by uh, New Orleans. You must know what I'm speaking about. Marco, as a guy yes. who's visited New Orleans many times, it's the Mufaletta. Yes. Now, I have a great source of, uh, you know, inadequacy in life. I've never been to New Orleans. And, and the problem is I was invited a number of times. It was always to go during Mardi Gras. I don't want to be in a place where I'm going to try food and celebrate the people in the cuisine during the most disgusting time in that city's, um, you know, annual uh, history. I don't think anyone should go to New Orleans for their first time during Mardi Gras. Totally. I've only been once, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've only been once. I've been once. Okay. I think I got COVID while I was there um, because I I lost the I lost my sense of taste when I was there. No, what a terrible place to lose your sense of taste. And I got some king cake, and like my friend Dave Camacchio, I bit into my first bite of the king cake, and I bit into the little baby that's in there and almost broke a tooth. So, but tell me what a king cake is and what baby you're talking about. Okay, so a king cake is this beautiful uh, cake that's usually like in the colors of Mardi Gras, so purple, green, and I believe yellow, and inside the cake it's i think it's like a ring cake or it's like a a, a flatter mm. cake right one piece will have a little plastic baby in jesus it jesus christ and the person who gets the baby has luck all year right but you've got to mm. be careful and if no one tells you that there's a baby like you're saying what's a king cake well i wish somebody would told me like hey by the way this is how a king cake works one piece is going to have a little plastic baby in it so watch you don't choke and die on it yeah. no warning on the label nothing it's like you're here in new orleans you live by the king cake you die by the king cake you figure yeah. it out and that's and that's and that's what happens yeah uh, the people of new orleans not so different from the italians it sounds like right <laughs> that's right you and me we have something in common all of a sudden you don't even realize buddy you it's babies me it's olive pits anyhow <laughs> Who invented the Mufaletta? Let's give respect where respect is due. Salvatore Lupo. Thank you, my and, paisan. Uh, your paisan invented it in the early 1900s, 1906. What does Mufaletta mean? Uh, not a goddamn thing, apparently. So I don't know what uh, this guy was drunk and just slurring words out of his mouth. But when you say, when you look up what does Mufaletta mean, and I had, I had had high hopes for this, Marco, it means. A sandwich yeah. consisting of a large round roll of Italian bread split in half and filled with layers of hard salami, ham, provolone, olives. Okay, anyway, so it doesn't mean anything, which is a, a little bit disappointing. But anyhow, the owners of Central Grocery, which was owned by Salvatore Lupo and, and now his family, they call it the uh, Mufaletta, but it is also locals will go Mufalata, Mufalata, right, sure. Americanize it, and that kind of, right? Which you may have heard when you were there. Now, the debate with all things that people hold dear in their city is should you eat it hot? Should you eat it cold? Yeah. Some people will say very simple. It's got cold cuts. So you eat it cold, right? That's the way it goes. I have had a Mufaletta uh, on a picnic. So this thing traveled, it took a while to get where it was going. I had also, um, you know, kept it at room temperature so that the oil soaks into the bread. Sure. And at room temperature, it was fantastic. And all I could think of, I think I would like this actually warmed up. So I, I, I'm a fan of the warmed up. And I will tell sure. you that um, there is a guy, uh, James Beard, award-winning, uh, award-winning chef, Donald Link. He owns the uh, the Cachon Butcher in, um, in in New Orleans. He is you know not from the Lupo family, but right. uh, he is a butcher. He is a sandwich purist. Ali Hassan, sandwiches, of course. I, sure. I love the sandwich purist. 
And so I went to, I sort of looked at him as another authority, and he's a big fan of having it warmed up at 350 for maybe just five minutes, crispy, and and, and that's what I like. Now, why am I bringing up a cold cut sandwich on an olive episode, my friend? Because you would be laughed out of town if you made a muffaletta without an olive salad in it. Okay. Okay? Now, Central Grocery sells an olive salad. I don't believe there's any reason for that. Uh, absolutely something you can make on your own. You know, the one you buy will have those calcium chloride and right. sodium right. bisulfite and potassium sorbite. You don't need any of that. Um, so you can look up actually Donald Link, that that chef from Cochon Grocery, uh, Cochon uh, Butcher. I'll, ha- I'll have it in the show notes, my friends, in case you want to see it. I'll have Fantastic. the link in the show notes. And you can see that, or I can see that Ali's really passionate about this because he's sweating and he's hit the microphone three times in case you're wondering ah, what those, my mouth like, is watering too. those so bangs sorry, are. Buddy. That's Ali getting really excited, <laughs> hitting the mic. All right, sorry. I apologize Cont- to nope. everyone's ears, but I am truly excited. So it, it, you know what I like about Donald Link is he said something that that I – you know, God, I would hope he would say this as a, as a sandwich guy and as sure. a butcher. He said, I have two problems with most mufalettas. Number one, too much bread. Number two, the meat is cheap. Right away, I was like, hey, you're my guy. You know, man after my own heart. As you say, going back to the drinks, why put cheap olives you paid no attention yeah. to when you're like, oh, I must have Belvedere vodka, must have whatever. Right. It doesn't make any sense. The same thing goes, you spend all this time and all this effort sure. to make this impressive beast of a sandwich. Talk of the town. Talk yeah. of the picnic. Yeah. And you're going to put crappy meat in there? What are you doing with your yeah. life, right? So uh, in the end, it's typically salami is in there. Uh, look, I don't think anybody would be like, I can't believe you put prosciutto in it. But the salami, mortadella, is it, you know, if you put turkey, I personally put turkey. Uh, I wanted my Muslim wife to also enjoy sure. the sure. I think we made two types, actually, once. Mm. But anyway, the, the the idea is there's the meat and then there is a jardinera. How do you pronounce it? Jardinera, Jard- yep. Jardinera, yep. Uh, which is, in this case, an olive salad. Now, it's not always an olive salad, but I will tell you how to make that. Very, very simple. Bay leaf and peppercorns. Yum. Just toast them in a, in a, in a skillet Yum. until they're aromatic, no, no oil, nothing. And then into that pot, you will add... Uh, let's say his, his uh, proportions are a cup of vinegar. Yes. Okay. Then a quarter cup of olive oil. Okay. It's not a one to one ratio by any means. It's, you know, a one to four ratio. And then you'll add two tablespoons of salt, two tablespoons of sugar. Then you add stuff like for myself, definitely pepper flakes, chili pepper flakes would be in there that to your own liking, uh, fresh or dried oregano is often in there in a jardiniera. And then you've got that, you've got this liquid. You strain that liquid after you, you bring it to a simmer for a little while. And, uh, you, and you add, the, you add the, uh, the bay leaf and the peppercorns either after the fact or you start with them in there. You know, I would say boil that, simmer it for five to 10 minutes. Sure. And then you have this, you have this great sort of pickling sauce. To that, you will now add olives okay you can add cauliflower yes. you can now add it's becoming celery now it's carrot. becoming a jardiniera now jardiniera, exactly. because now it's the garden the garden veggies are going in there prior to that you were just making a hot oil of sort like a pickling the, agent but now pickling, you're making right. i'm making you, i was making these salad dressings yes, so to speak you got right? it okay and so then you can also i'm going to add uh, pepperoncini because you mentioned it earlier right pepperoncini yeah zest of lemon in yeah. there as well and uh, and then typically it's green olives Yes. Roughly chopped. I would say the chopping is key. 
because you don't want to go around being like, hey, man, there might be pits in this right. sandwich. Just let people enjoy their goddamn picnic, all right? You understand what I'm saying, Marco? Hey, and I, all I, your ilk? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to concede to the fact that in a muffaletta sandwich or any sort of sandwich, your olives should be pitted because you can't see them because of the two pieces of bread. Sure, That's sure. where they're I not would on, concede. They're not outside, yeah. outdoors, on a, a profile. I get that. Good good for you. Mm-hmm. There's some There's some common sense there's some... That, that, that lurks beneath that thick mind of yours. Um, some humanity here. Some humanity. God bless you. So the idea was the final thing is in that sort of like salad dressing, mm-hmm. you add those vegetables into a large container. Um, you know, you, and you let them sit for a couple of days. So the muffaletta is it's a big deal, right? Yeah. And then your meat should be fantastic too. But that's really all it is. It's great layers of meat. It's the olive salad or yep. the jardiniera. And then something very important, which I alluded to from from David uh, Chef David Link's own words. It's the um, uh, Donald Dink's words. It's the uh, ratio, man. Okay, if you buy a massive bread, it is okay to carve out some of that bread. In fact, it might be preferred depending on how dense that bread is. Scoop it out. Yeah. Scoop it out. So you're not throwing it away. You save that bread. Just have it with some butter if you, you have it immediately as you reflect on your genius, but the idea is ratios. You should have a good ratio of bread. If it's too much bread, if it's too much meat, it's not going to be the, the the wonderful showstopper that it should be. So I'm a big fan of this sandwich. Uh, I would, you know, if you can have it warm, I would say, why not? Absolutely don't have to cold is, is the preferred way for many people. And, um, and the bread choice of bread, you usually get a round, you know, one of those, it could be a, a sourdough round sure. uh, domed bread. It can be a ciabatta. Uh, in New Orleans, they sell mufaletta bread. It's just sure. called mufaletta. It's for that purpose. But outside of there, you know, any round, I would I would advise against pumpernickel. Yeah, no, uh, don't, be, might, you know, don't dark, be that person. Dark, right? don't, don't, don't be that person. No. Right? Don't be crazy. That you save for your spinach, your spinach bowl, your spinach dip. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. that's the only time I, I I can look at that bread with without laughing. Uh, a calabrese uh, bread, the big round ones that are crusty. Yes. Um, I will say this. Okay, so here's and and correct me if I'm wrong, Ali. You know, everybody works so hard to prepare wings and other things for like parties, like Super Bowl parties, right? Yeah. I would say you'd make much more of an impression, and it's an easier cleanup. If you have, if you prepare a couple of days before, like you said, make the jardiniera, get ready, get quality meat and make a muffaletta for picnics, Super Bowl parties for, you know, when you're having friends over and you just want to have some beers. This is a perfect thing to bring out. You don't have to order pizza. You don't have to do you bring this out. Everyone's having a grand spanking old time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and one last thing to mention. In the middle is the meat. The jardiniera is at the bottom and the jardiniera is also at the top. The reason being so that the oil that is in it and the juices can soak into that bread a little bit. So just think about that. You know, you have the outside, the crusty exterior of the bread. You have some soft bread. You have some sort of like seasoned flavored bread. Sure. Then you have this, these crunchy tangy vegetables and the salty olives. Then you have this meat, which has this fantastic texture. And if, you know, if if the meat's not your thing, you can um, bake uh, slices of sweet potato and slices of uh, turnip and slices of eggplant. Zucchini. Right? Zucchini. Any of that bullshit. Yeah. A vegetarian, you know, Marco's words, bullshit uh, mufaletta, I think would still be 
I mean, once you layer stuff of different colors, slices of like yeah. baked beet and all that. Sure. Once you layer stuff of different colors, it's it's fantastic to look at, and it's also quite delicious. My friend, I'm glad you pointed that out. So the beauty of this sandwich is it doesn't require condiments like mayo or mustard because no. you have the olive oil. The olive oil is what soaks into the bread that that makes it soft and tender and allows you to really enjoy it without adding any of that extra stuff. And I just want to add for your wife and people who don't eat pork, I would recommend getting some brazaula, which is a beef cured type of salami. So it's oh, brazaula yeah. instead of salami or any pork products. If that's not your if that's not your bag, which I totally respect, brazaula is the way to go. But sorry, I, I, I could see you were going to say something when I talked about the mayo and using... Oh, oh I was just going to say, and believe it or not, uh, an American, you know, excessive showstopper sandwich, no cheese. Right. No cheese, friends. Right. right? Sometimes you got to wrap your head around this. Wrap your head around this. You don't really need this. Now, of course, uh, the world is very diverse. The city of New Orleans is very sure. diverse. You will find places that, no, no, you got to have mozzarella. you got to have provolone. you got to sure. have that. But um, classically, that is not the sandwich that was made by our friend Salvatore. And it's also the James Beard award-winning chef slash butcher. Donald Link does not call for it either. So I'm going to say, as, a, as an attempt to, to keep things pure and traditional, uh, you know, hark back to 1906, make it the way mama made it and papa made it and nonna made it. No cheese. Yeah, you don't need cheese in that. You've got the you salt from it. the brine. Like, you know, not everything needs cheese. Not everything needs everything that you're used to in other sandwiches. That's what makes it different and great, right? Because it's Absolutely. its own thing. You had mentioned something before we before we sign off. You had mentioned how olives add a salty flavor to uh, chicken and other things you might use it in. If you have, if you're a person who is salt conscious and doesn't want to use extra salt in their food, would you say that olives or all, like capers or things like that is the way to go? Yeah, and I am not a salt conscious person, so I can't say I can fully relate to that world. Right. Uh, if somebody is truly salt conscious, they may not even be comfortable eating olives. Oh, I see. But if you're trying to limit your 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 salt consumption, uh, you know, half of what it would normally, two things you can do. Number one, drink lots of water. Number two, uh, don't buy canned and processed food. Okay. That's, that, those are the first major things. I say that because my wife had a condition for a while called Graves' disease, and limiting her salt was a critical component for her overcoming that or right. getting out of it or letting it go into remission, and she did that, and those were the big recommendations. So as I say, I'm no expert in this world, but, but yes, if you're salt conscious, I would say olives, you know, now you just eat a little strategically, a couple of bites of chicken, you know what? What do you call that? The uh, the zest of some lemon or sure. something like that, and then a couple of bites with some olives and a couple of bites. And I think you're really, you know, you choose your olives well. But mm -hmm. most olives will be salty and flavorful enough that you probably don't need salt. There you go, man. I now I I have a craving for olives like nobody's business. I know, I know. I'm gonna hit the streets and go get some. This is ridiculous. How long have I denied myself of olives? Had them last night, by the way, but oh, still. Wow. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, thank you for now. And I, I really want I'm really thinking about when I have friends over and we're having beers, I'm going to make a mufaleta sandwich because it's something different that we're, we're yeah. not used to having. Like we'll order pizza or we'll we'll have something else. But this just sounds like the type of thing that you could really just sit in the backyard, you know, have a good time, have some drinks and, and enjoy that kind of a sandwich. Hot tip. Yeah. Make two. Make two for those vultures you have for friends. Because, well, you know, people might like it and be like, oh, is there, oh, there's no other piece. It was. There's eight of us and there was eight pieces, right? Because you also don't want, 
to cut it into too many pieces. I also, the, the American style is just like cut it in half or quarters, right. but it's a lot, right? Sure. And you could still cut it into eighths, depending on how big your bread is. But less than that, your stuff is falling out yeah. and you're sort of, you're making a mess of the situation. But if you want to cut it into quarters, use a smaller one and then another small one and um, double up on the mufaletta. And I think it's, uh, you're rocking, you're yeah. rocking. I think it's a great sandwich to, to think about as we're coming into spring also. And uh, great flavor. Great on the eyes, and uh, go for it, buddy. You send me a picture. Let's I post will. a picture when we make our muffalettas. I will, my friend. Speaking of great oh, on the please. eyes, it's been a pleasure today uh, doing this episode with you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I am uh, I am in a very poorly lit closet in a hotel, but uh, but I think we made this work. If you have any complaints with the audio, do let us know. But this will probably be the last time I'm in this hotel in this closet. Fantastic. Anyway, all right, we'll be back to our regular schedule pro- programming very soon. Uh, thanks, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening, uh, Marco. Tell people where they can connect with us and and give us uh, you know reviews. And if they if they like something, any feedback, any any great comments are always welcome. Of course, yeah. So thank you guys for listening and bearing with us as we change the name of our podcast. If you want to reach out to us, you can email us at this podcast is delicious at gmail.com and you can find us on social media by typing in this podcast is delicious you'll find us both on instagram and twitter and uh you know otherwise give us a five-star review let your friends know about our podcast we're really trying to reach out there and, and get a hold of everyone we're gonna have some interviews coming up soon if you have a show idea you want to hear us talk about please feel free to write to us and let us know doesn't mean we're gonna do it but we of course love to hear from you <laughs> thank you so much Take care, buddy. All right. We'll see you next time.